You're listening to audio from Community Bible Church in Savannah, Georgia. For more information, go to cbcsavannah.com. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Father, um, we come on the other side of this great prophecy uh, that Zechariah made that, that Israel would be able to identify its Messiah in so many ways. One of them, a simple way, is that he would come riding into Jerusalem on a, a foal of a donkey that had never been ridden. Just one of so many prophecies identifying your son as who uh, he was and what he was going to do. And so we now look back and we celebrate and we know that the week that he faced ahead was brutal. There was lots of teaching, there was rejection, and there was the ultimate sacrifice, him becoming sin on our behalf, that, that your holy wrath satisfied and his death. Uh, and so we, we're excited about Easter. Um, it's our Super Bowl, Lord. It's, our, it's the biggest day of the year for us. And we pray that many would come to faith uh, because of the preaching of the gospel, because of the hearing of what Christ has done. As we prepare for even that today, uh, I just pray as we approach your word, as we just hear from, from Jesus himself again, that Lord Jesus, that you from heaven's throne room right now, through your word and by your spirit, you would speak to your people that you would uh, just, just meet us here as we've worshiped you, as we've praised you for being king and we've celebrated your salvation. Lord, as we come to the words of life, the word of truth, please help me to make it clear so that your people are fed, so that they are strengthened, so they are nourished, so they will grow uh, to be more like you. And I, I cannot do that. I have nothing in me that can do that. I need you to do that through me. And so I ask it right now in the name of Jesus, our Savior. I pray for our country. Lord, you tell us to pray for whoever is leading right now. And, and there is challenges in the world uh, that we can't fathom. And so I just ask for a wisdom for those who acknowledge you and for those who don't. That, that you would move them to make decisions whether they know it or not that it would be, would be good and, and true. I pray for our military as they protect us and as they are constantly... In, in just in the way of, of people who want to kill them. And so just protect them. Many here who are family over there. Uh, just, but just we want to think of them. We, wanna, we just want to ask that you would bless our country, even though we reject you in so many ways. Let the church shine uh, in America and beyond. In, in the world, let the church shine. In the Middle East, let the church shine. In Africa, in, in Asia, um, in, in all the nations of the world, may Christ's people shine. Uh, we pray it in the name of Christ. 
Amen. Thanks. You guys can have a seat. Go ahead. If you have your Bible, your phone, your iPad, your whatever, turn to uh, Luke chapter 9. Uh, often, you know, I, for those who are observant, I carry around different coffee mugs every Sunday because I have like a collection. And people are always like, where'd you get that? Where'd you get that? And, and I always respond, I get it where all good things come from. Amazon, right? Um, I mean, how good is Prime? I mean, really, y'all. You know, you know, kid's birthday coming up, what do you want? One click, got it, right? Uh, yeah, you need a new pair of sunglasses? One click, got it. You're too lazy to go to Walmart to buy toilet paper? You can get it on Amazon, one click, buy it. I mean, everything you need, seemingly. But here's the thing about Amazon, and I was thinking about this week. They don't actually make anything. I mean, you don't see, you're going to go out like, hey, dude, where'd you get those shoes? Those are nice. They're, they're Amazon. You know, where's, hey, that's a, that's, a, that's a cute skirt. Where, it's an Amazon skirt. See, Amazon. They don't make anything, right? All they do, you know, is take Lululemon, for, you know, for those of you who can afford $100,000 spandex, and um, <laughs> they take Nike and Lego, and they put it all in one big place, and then when you want it, they get it to you, Right? They take what other people have created, what other people have invented, what other people have worked hard at doing, and they put it in a big room, and then when it's time for you to, to click on the one-click buy, they get it to you in two days or less, right? And, and as I was reading this text this week, I, I, can't, that, that, I was reminded of that, that we're kind of supposed to be, as a church, as Christians, we're kind of supposed to be like Amazon, Right? We don't invent truth. We don't actually have truth. We have really nothing in ourselves to offer. We don't have gifts and resources by ourselves. But we've been deposited all these things. We're the big warehouse that God has strategically put where he wants us. And when it's time to get it out, it's time to get it out. That's what we are. Right? And, and it is God's purpose, y'all. I just was reminded of this this week as we're thinking about Easter and everything else. Ephesians 3, that God has chosen eternally in the past in Jesus Christ that through the church... That is you, okay? The church is not this big square thing made of concrete and sheetrock. The church, that through you, the manifold wisdom of God would be known in the world. Right? That's how he's chosen to do it. He could do it a bazillion different ways. He could have angels flying across, believe in Jesus. But he has chosen you and I to reveal the manifold wisdom of God. That's kind of a big task, right? Kind of big for us. And so we're going to really talk about that today as we are God's Amazon, so to speak. What does that look like a little bit? And how can we do that? And so that's, that's really what I think this text points us to. Um, and look, big opportunity this week, right? Easter. I mean, this is the one time everyone in the South goes to church, right? Or at least they lie to their mother and say, yeah, I went to church this morning. Sunrise service in my room, right? So this is a great opportunity for us. To, to reach out to people that may not know Christ. And le- next week, I'll, it's going to be very simple. It's going to be a shorter sermon because we have parking issues and all sorts of things. And I'm just going to preach the gospel. So it's a great opportunity for you, y'all. I mean, a great opportunity for you to reach out to friends. Hey, come with me. We'll go get some coffee and we'll go to church. Celebrate Easter. You're in the South. That's what we do. All right? But we're going to talk about that today. So uh, Luke chapter 9. We're about, in Jesus' ministry, we're about two-thirds of the way through it. I know we're kind of only halfway through the bookish, but it's about two-thirds of the way through his ministry, and the disciples do not know it, but he is preparing them for his departure. 
Right? They don't know that, but that's what he is doing. He is equipping them and getting them ready for so when he goes back to heaven, they can take the message and they are equipped for the ministry he's called them. And, and so we're going to look at just three short paragraphs today. The first two kind of set up the third. You get two short ones and then you have this big miracle, which is kind of the point at the end. And this is a significant miracle because it's one of the few passages that finds its way in all four of the Gospels. So all four of the Gospel writers have this miracle. Okay, that's very rare. All right, so it must be important. It must be something that we need to grasp. And I'd encourage you this week, we're only going to look at Luke's, but go, go look at all of them because each one adds a little bit of cool little details that I'll try to bring together as we kind of tell the story. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to tell the story and then I'm going to come back at the end and make some points about how we are the big box warehouse, Amazon, getting the message out. All right, let me read the first six verses. Chapter nine. Boop, there we go. I got it. And he called the 12 together. And gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey. No staff, no bag, no bread, nor money. Do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there and from there depart. And then whenever they do not receive you, when you leave the town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. And so we got, for the first time really, what's going on, verse 1, is that Jesus is sending out the disciples on their own. All right, from this, up to this point, they've been with him, everything they've done. So this is kind of like for parents who have teenagers. This is like for a year, you're, you're with your kids and they're driving and they have their permit. And you know, you're telling them everything to do and they're there every time. And now they get their license. And you're like, time for you to run to the Publix. On your own, your first solo drive, right? And you're like a little scared even though it's like 100 yards up the road. But it's, it's, it's time to get out. And so he is going to, he's telling them, you're going to do everything I've been doing except this time without me. I'm not going with you. I'll be there. I'll, my power is going to be with you, but I'm not physically going to be in that presence right there. And so he gives them authority and power, notice in verse 1, over demons and to cure diseases. And he gives them two main missions. You have two jobs here, y'all. He sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God. I think John's gospel says, and the kingdom of God at this point is repent and believe, right? It's still repent and believe, but the content of what we believe now, post-crucifixion and resurrection, is, is the gospel. At that point, they're repent from your sins, turn from your sins, and trust in God to forgive you. And they're preaching that and they're healing people. So there's a spiritual piece and there is a physical piece as well. And then he gives them, verse 3, very interesting instructions. He says, oh, this thing is, is acting up today. And he says, take nothing for your journey. Nothing is emphatic in the Greek text. Take nothing. No staff, bag, bread, money. Leave your debit at home, all right? Leave your, you know, no goldfish, no, you know, crackers for the road. See, this is the way I love to pack, y'all. This is, this is packing like a teenage boy, right? What is a teenage boy? You say, hey, we're going to Europe. Great. Pair of underwear, pair of socks. I got a pair of jeans. Let's go. All right? That's, that's what he's saying. Now, and that's really how most men pack, and then they get married. Okay? And then when you, if you're a single man, just so you understand this, when you get married, your wife 
doesn't pack like that. She, she packs in outfits. She thinks in context of outfits. So it's not like, I got shorts, I got t-shirt, I got shoes. She says, okay, it's going to be cold on Thursday night, and so I need long pants and a long sleeve shirt. And, I, and what earrings am I going to wear with that long sleeve shirt? And all I need, uh, but what shoes, honey? What shoes for this outfit? All right, that's one outfit for three hours on Thursday. Okay, now, what am I going to wear from 11 to 1 on Friday? And so that's how women pack. Just premarital counseling 101 for you, all right? But Jesus is saying, that's not how we're doing it. You're not taking anything. Travel light, sure, on your back. That's the idea, all right? So where where are you going to stay? Wherever they're going to have you, verse 4, right? He says, you do it to me because it's not working down here. Because he say verse 4? He says, whatever house you enter, stay there. So whoever have you, you stay with them and let them feed you and let them provide for you. And then leave, then depart. Well, what if they don't, well, we can't find any place to stay. What if they don't accept us? Verse 5, he's assuming it's not going to happen. Whoever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the feet, uh, dust from your feet as a testimony. And the idea of very Middle Eastern is, is, hey, you rejected us, so whatever happens to you is on you. You had your chance. It's on you now. And there's an assumption that some towns are going to blow them off, right? He tells them, if this, is, this is how to handle that, right? And, said, and then verse 6, they go out and they do it. Now think about how in, intimidating this may be. Up for this point, two years, you've been with Jesus every day, for the most part. I mean, every day. And now he's saying, get out there. Go do it now. Well, what if they don't listen to us? You leave that to me. Well, what are we going to eat? Leave that to me. Where are we going to sleep? You leave that to me. You focus on the message and on the healing, and you leave the rest to me. Right? That's kind of scary, which is the point. It is a, it is a point of complete dependence. They are completely helpless, which is exactly where he wants them. And so verse 6, they go do it. They pair off, Matthew tells us, to kind of... Two, by, go by two, so you know, Peter goes with his brother Andrew, and, and you know, Judas is the last one. He's like, who's going to go with Judas? So they stick Simon the Zealot with him, and, you know, they, and, but they go off, and they pair off, and they do this thing, and they go out, and they heal, and they teach him to do all these things, and the gospel is getting spread, and it's starting to get some attention, even all the way at the top. So our second paragraph, verse 7, says this, now Herod, the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening, and he was perplexed. Because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead, by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old has, had risen. And Herod said, John, I beheaded. But who is this whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. And so Herod's freaking out a little bit because he had John the Baptist killed. And if you hear, hey, John the Baptist is back and he's wearing a ski mask, a hockey mask, you know, that's kind of his idea. If I killed this guy and he's back, that doesn't go well for me. Right, so he's, he's desiring to see what's going on, and now they got all these people out. But some people are saying, no, it's Elijah. And others are saying, oh, it's one of the prophets of old. For the Old Testament Jew, the progression they expected, because this is what the Old Testament taught, was that would, Elijah would come, and then the Messiah would come, and then the kingdom would come. Which is exactly what happened, by the way. Elijah, who was that? It was John the Baptist. Jesus is the Messiah, and then the kingdom is, is now here, as Jesus says, the kingdom's here. But it's here already, but not yet, right? Because we're not yet right now living in in the kingdom of God. And so there's a future point where I believe there will be a future Elijah. 
right? If I, if I understand Revelation right. And then the Messiah will return again, and then the eternal kingdom, or the, the kingdom on earth, and then the millennial kingdom, and then the eternal kingdom will take place. But the point is, they're thinking, what's going on? It's, it's, there's a little bit of chaos. You've got all these guys doing it. It's Jesus. It's his disciples. What's going on? And he's gaining attention, and he's gaining momentum, and that is not necessarily good, right? Because they killed John, so what's going to happen now? And so these guys go out. Verse 10, they gather back together. On their return, the apostles told them all they had done. So they go out. We don't know how long, but they come back. And they start talking, man, you should have seen Peter. He was in fuego. Oh, it was awesome. And Bartholomew was all like, Psh, and like lightning came out of his hand. This guy got healed. I mean, they're just kind of recapping all these things that they were able to do with Jesus. But they're also beat. Mark tells us they had no opportunity. They had no leisure to eat, it says, and they're just tired. And so Jesus says, you guys come away with me, is the way one of the gospel reads. Here it says he took them and withdrew. But notice who's the one who instigates this. He, Jesus takes them and he says, we, we're going to go rest. You guys need some downtime, right? We're going to talk about all these things, but you need to get away because God is for rest. And we keep coming back to this, by the way. On the seventh day, God rests because he knows that your body and your spirit need to rest, so Jesus instigates it, and he models it for us. And he says, hey, I know a town. Let's get in the boat. We'll go to Bethsaida. It's quiet. It's in, the, it's in the country. No one will be there. And so they get on a boat, and they go. The problem is everyone sees them. So verse 11, the crowds learned it, and they followed him. So they see the boat kind of going across Sea of Galilee, and they're running on the outside. Right? And, and on the boat, you can just imagine these guys are finally relaxed and they're chilling. They're like, oh, man, I am going to sleep for days. And one guy's like, dude, I cannot wait to get a bath. And he's like, you need a bath. And, and they're just bantering and they're kind of having a good time. And as they get closer to the shore, one of them's like, wait, no, don't tell me. And as they get closer and closer, they see that a mass of people is gathered on the beach. And they got to be figured, don't these people have lives? Won't they give us a break? And they get off, and there's these thousands of people just waiting. And one of the disciples are just like, oh, tired, I want to go take a nap, I want a bath, I want to eat. What does it say Jesus did? Jesus welcomed them. Right? And in Mark's gospel, it says Jesus had compassion on them because he saw them as sheep without a shepherd. And in Mark's gospel, it says he spoke many things to them. Here it just says he spoke to them about the kingdom of God and cured. But Mark's it highlights, it was a long time. You can figure the disciples are like, if any time is a time for a little homily, a little sermon at Jesus, is today. Say, God bless you, get out of here. Right? This is the day. But what we find out is Jesus teaches all day, and he heals all day. And finally, it's getting late. Disciples are looking at their sundial on their wrist. Right? Verse 12. The day began to wear away, and the 12 came. Jesus sent them away. And they're not being mean here. They say, they realize they're in the middle of nowhere, right? They're like in Swainsboro. There's nothing around, right? They're in the middle of nowhere. If you're from Swainsboro, no offense, but really, no one's vacationing in Swainsboro. Um, middle of nowhere. There's no Taco Bell. There's no running for the border. Thousands of people. He's like, Jesus, these, got, these people got to eat. They got to they sleep somewhere. You need, to, you need to split them up and send them home. We're, we're, they need to get food. We're in a desolate place. And I love Jesus. I, I just picture in my sanctified imagination, there's a smile on his face. Verse 13, he says, you give him something to eat. 
Y'all. Y'all feed them. Right? And you got, and you put all the gospels together and you get these pieces where, where he's like, what do you guys got? How are you going to do this? And Philip's like, hey, we could, 200 denarii could not feed these people. That's eight months' salary. It'd take 50, 60 grand. It's still not going to feed these people. Why? There's 5,000 men, which means there's at least 10,000 people because the women are going to match the men. There may even be 15,000 people. Jesus, we don't have the money to pay for this. We, we can't do this. Well, what do you got? Well, they, they, they kind of do a little inventory. They, they have a little boy. He's got five barley loaves, which is like a poor man's, you know, meal, and, and two fish. He's like, that ain't going to cut it, Jesus. Peter will eat that in like a minute. I'm like, That's not enough. We don't have it. What they're saying is we cannot do it. Can't feed them. No one can do that, right? So this is where the training piece is coming in. Remember I told you from Jesus is training his disciples. Because in John's gospel, it says Jesus already knew what he was going to do. He's testing them. Why? Because what have they just seen? Jesus all day long has been healing people. This guy comes up, he's got a withered hand, now his hand's new. This guy comes up, he's blind, he walks away seeing. This guy comes up with his family, they got leprosy, boom, they walk away clean. Where did they just come from? A couple of weeks of doing ministry where they didn't have their debit card, they didn't have a sleeping bag, they didn't have any place to go, they didn't have hotels.com, but every time God supplied their needs. And he's testing them to see, did you learn anything from that? Because you think that you, you would be thinking, I just healed that guy's foot, right? It was a miracle. You'd think if I can handle that, that I might be able to feed these people. I might be able to do something, right? So he's, he's trying, he's ministering to the crowd, but he's training his followers. And so what he tells them, verse 14, there were about 5,000 men, and he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50. So if there's 5,000 men, let's say 5,000 women, there's 10,000, it's a nice easy number. With, with, in groups of 50, that's 200 groups of people, all right, so that's, I'm doing my little math nerd stuff this week. Even though I was a PE major, I can do basic math. So, so you know, 10,000 divided by that is, is, is 200. So we've got 200 groups spread out. And he says, have them sit. And so they sit, verse 16. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looks up to heaven. This is the original kind of like, thank God for the food, right? But interestingly, we bow our heads and cross our hands and we tell, yell at our kids when they're opening, oh, open your eyes, we're blessed in the food. Jesus... So kids, if your parents yell at you, you take them to this passage, all right? Mom, I'm just obeying Jesus. I don't know what you're doing over there praying. Um, But Jesus looks up to heaven, eyes open, right? He says a blessing, and the idea is he thanks God for the food. And I love that he thanks the Father for five lousy, stinking pieces of bread and two fish. He's thankful for that. Thank you, God, for this Bountiful harvest. Disciples are like, what's he saying? And so, amen. He breaks the loaves and gives it to the disciples. Notice he breaks it and then he gives to the disciples. Underline that in your mind. All right? Okay, so he hands it to the disciples. And they each have a basket, we find out. So he's breaking it. He fills up Peter's basket. He breaks it. He fills up Matthew's basket. He breaks it. He fills it. And, and meanwhile, they're going to the groups and distributing. Now, if they're going to 200 groups and there's 12 of them, okay, mathematically, that means each one has to go to 16.6666666. That's not, the, that's not the Antichrist number. That's just math. All right? But they have to go to that many groups. And if you figure it takes, what, five minutes to do a group, and that's fast, that's if you're like fast food, that's 90 minutes almost. So let's just say an hour and a half 
of back and forth, basket and forth, basket and forth. And you got to be thinking every time they are going, what in the world is happening? How many did we have in the beginning? And they keep coming back and Jesus just fills it up. Hour and a half, I'm tired. I'm not getting any tips. And at the end of the deal, verse 17, they all ate and they were satisfied. Literally, the word is they are filled up. I mean, I'm talking like Thanksgiving dinner. I'm talking after church jalapenos, five baskets of chips, the El Gringo, and three glasses of sweet tea full. Everybody. And then Jesus tells them, gather up the scraps. And so they all gather up the scraps. And what, what was left? 12 baskets. Do not think that is by accident. How many disciples? 12. How many baskets? 12. What's the point of this? Teaching the 12. Each one is standing in a circle with a full basket. And they're thinking, there is more in this basket than we started with. Right? And then that's the end. That's the end. And, you th- and again, the point is that they would learn to what? Trust. You think I got it? You think I could feed them? You think I got enough? That's the point. You think they'd learn. Sad thing is, it's nothing happened in this gospel, but in, in the gospel of Matthew and in the gospel of Mark, not two chapters later, you have the exact same situation, only there's only 4,000 this time. And there's 4,000 people, and it's late, and they've been teaching, and they're in the middle of nowhere, and, 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 and the disciples are like, where are we going to get food? Are you kidding me? How hard-headed, how thick-headed are these dudes, right? They live in the world of we can't do it, how are we going to do it, never going to happen, right? I, and I go, again, I'm going back to... In my sanctified imagination, I'm going back to Luke Skywalker and Yoda. And Yoda's like, Luke's like, my, my, my ship's in the, in the lake. We're never going to get that out. And Yoda's like, so sure are you. He's like, oh, yeah, moving rocks around. That's a ship. It's, it's, it's too big. He's like, it's too big? You look at me? I'm short. Right? Yoda and, and Fowler are both short. He's like, you live in the world of you can't. He's like, well, okay, I'll try. Say no, there is no try. Do or do not. There is no try. And he tries and he fails. And then Yoda's like, psh, psh, ship, and he's like, I can't believe it. And he's like, that is why you fail. That's the disciples. There's no faith. They don't believe. They always doubt. It's always too big. It's always too hard. It's always, it can't happen. And so that's us, isn't it? I'll never be able to do that. I don't have enough time. I don't have enough resources. I'm not smart enough. I'm not good enough. I got a past. And so Jesus is not only training them, he's training us, right? Which is why all four Gospels have this lesson. Let me give you big, three big picture ideas, just, just right out of this text. They kind of relate to the whole idea of us being kind of that Amazon, getting the message out. Again, the idea, Jesus creates, disciples distribute. That's what we do, right? Here's the first one. And it's very simple, but it's, 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 it's so important. Number one, is the mission hasn't changed. What was the mission of the disciples? Message of the kingdom and heal. The mission for us 2,000 years later has not changed. Jesus is still sending us out to do the exact same thing, to proclaim the kingdom and to bring ultimate healing. The calling of the church is not to come to church. 
That's right, girl. Come on. (laughs) The calling of the church is not to sit there, sing a couple songs, give a couple ties, read a couple scriptures. That is not what it means to be Christian. All right? The mission of the church is to get the message of Christ out. To ultimately, what David talked about last week with the demoniac, what does Jesus say? You go and you tell people what Christ has done for you. That is all of our job. It is not my job. It is not the elder's job. It is not the staff's job. It is our job, period. And, and, and it's not changed. The message has not changed. The pattern has not changed, y'all. All right? The, sa- the same pattern. Isn't it interesting? Jesus didn't just send them out to preach. Okay, because anybody can do that and go down to Forsyth and hold up a sign that says just this, this, and yell at people when they go by, and those shorts are a little short, lady. And anybody can do that. That is not the only thing he sends them out to do. He sends them to preach and to heal. Why? Because the healing gives validation to the preaching. When you care about people, they are more likely to hear the message of the gospel because I show a genuine love for my neighbor. And it's not that we are, I'm not, you know, having healing services at three in the afternoon where I'm going to heal everything. It, there's a difference between the apostolic deal going on here. And that is very unique. I'm not saying that God still doesn't heal. I'm not saying that he doesn't have the power to heal. God can do what he wants. But this is not, I mean, people, I'm not raising people from the dead like they are, okay? What I, we've prayed for people and we've seen healing, but not in this capacity because this is very unique to the, to the, the apostles. But what ultimately is healing anyway? It is taking brokenness and bringing unbrokenness. It's bringing restoration. Isn't that something that we as a church can do when there's the brokenness of this person doesn't have money? Well, we can provide resources. When there's a brokenness of a marriage that's, that's, that's destroyed, we can bring comfort and maybe we can bring healing and we can bring counsel. When there's a brokenness of addiction, we can give the, the source and, and of, a, of getting out of that with Christ and the Holy Spirit. We can deal with brokenness and bring healing to these things as, as, and we're called to do it. We're, we're, we're commanded to do it. It's not just sermons, right? Sermons mean nothing if there's not care and love, especially, y'all, in the generation we live in a post-post-post-modern generation. At least in a modernic generation, there was an assumption of truth. There's no more of that. And so there's this idea where we as a church take the message of the gospel, but we also are loving our neighbor, and that's what God has called us to do. And, and I'm not saying that means that we should start opening a, you know, a food kitchen and a, and a clothes pantry. Not that those things are bad. That's not the point. The point is that you, as a minister of the gospel, are supposed to be a blessing, both physically and spiritually, wherever God has put your warehouse. All right? So you are the warehouse that God has put in whatever neighborhood or whatever place. And now it is your job to be a physical and a spiritual blessing in both of those places. So you see that single mom at the shop and she doesn't have a car or she can't afford to get her new tires and so I can do that that's what that's the idea you you can be that resource because you love them and then it gives you an opportunity to ultimately speak into the ultimate brokenness which is sin and separation from God and you can point them people those people to Christ and this is part y'all this is part of our specs I mean, this is the, the, you know, our S-P-E-C-S, the five kind of characteristics of a disciple that we're trying to build. I mean, this is the final S, stewarding resources to the kingdom. And this is the E. So you have a warehouse that God has given you resources, and you're stewarding them for the kingdom. And that doesn't just mean in the tithe box. That means to the kingdom. 
and that you are engaged, E, with the culture for the sake of the gospel. And, and you're strategic about it. You know how strategic Amazon is? You can Google anything. You Google like shoes. I was looking for running shoes. Google these running shoes. Now, every time I go to a website, what's in the bottom right? Look at this. There's your shoes you want. You need these shoes. These are the shoes. I mean, you can't go everywhere in my email. You want these shoes. Remember, you look for these shoes. I mean, they're constantly just, but these shoes, I already bought the shoes. I want to just tell them I bought the shoes. Stop telling me I need the shoes. But the idea is they're strategic. They know what you need. They know what you want, and they're putting it out there. Isn't that what the church is supposed to be? We have what you need. We have what you want, ultimately. We should be strategic in that. And look, if a church forgets this, if you forget this is the mission of the church, we are done for. If a church loses sight of what it's been called to do, I don't care how much money, I don't care how many people are in it, it is done for. There's the, the, I've told you before, I think it was in, maybe when we did the Churches of Revelation, the four, the four cycles in the life of a church, you have the first stage, which is that, that idea of movement, where it's usually a small group, but everyone's engaged. This is us at Johnny Harris, 50 people, everyone's there to set up, everyone's inviting their friends, everyone's got a job, there's excitement, it's kind of weird and broken, but it's just a, it's a movement, and then at one point it turns into a mission, and this is where you have more people, and there's, there's more resources, and you're like, man, I can't believe we were able to do this and this and that, and you see life's change, and, and, and that's exciting, and that's where you need to stay, because the next stage is that monument stage. That's when we start talking about the, remember how good it was back when we did, the past becomes the hero, right? That what we, oh, the good old days when blah, 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 and the, oh, and everything is back there and what God used to do and how God used to move, and then we become more cautious and less risk-taking, and we're more concerned about our reputation and the carpets, and the culture then becomes the enemy. Oh, the bad culture. We got to hide instead of an opportunity. And so there's few attempts to reach into the community. And it's scary because they're different. And what we've come is, you know, the, the difference between Sam's Club and Walmart. Sam's Club, you got to have a member card. And, you know, they check you at the door like, uh, Do you, where's your membership card, sir? And you got to go in. And then you go out and you buy all the stuff. And at the end, you got to, well, let me make sure you, you're a member. And you get your receipt. And it's very elite. And you got to know the lingo. That's what a church becomes when it's a monument church. Well, you're not part. Well, I don't know. You don't dress this way. Oh, you look a little bit different. Oh, you, you know, you, this is how we do things here. And oh, you know that. And what we want to be is not Sam's Club. We want to be Walmart. Walmart lets anybody in, apparently. <laughs> doesn't matter what they look like. It doesn't matter what they're wearing, how they smell. And Walmart's a little dirtier and a little less organized. But they let every shop. It's not shopping as a pleasure like Publix, but it's shopping. <laughs> And they got everything you need. What, see, we want to be Walmart, even though it's a little rough around the edges, and not Sam's Club. And then we start looking back. Oh, remember the good old days. Oh, we're done. Because then we're not mission. We're a oh, monument. And then when you do monument too long, you become a, a mausoleum. And what's that filled with? Dead people. And dead people do nothing except fight over trees and the, the picture of the old pastor on the wall. And they're re- rearranging the, ch- the chairs on the deck on the uh, Titanic. That's what we're... And, and so what, the mission is the same. You have opportunities this week. We got thousands of tickets. I mean, just take one and, and invite someone. Bring someone. 
you, it's, it's, it's your job, church. And if you don't want to do it, if you're like, oh, that's not kind of my deal, then, then don't come to this church. Because this is a church where we want people on mission. Right? Church growth strategy. Run people off that don't want to do anything. Perfect. <laughs> here's, the second, here's the second point. Go ahead, Timmy. Is just like Amazon, you don't, they don't make anything. They got to get everything that they give. You as a Christian need to for, only give what you get. All right? And some of you are running on empty warehouses. And nothing in there. Not worth offering. Right? Whatever people get from you, you have to first get from Jesus. That's the key. Everything the disciples get, the power, their food, their message, all comes from Jesus. That's the way it needs to be with the church. Right? And, and, and let's be honest. How many times have we done stuff in the name of Jesus apart from Jesus? I, I'm guilty. How many times have I counseled people? How many times have I done things and that was me? There was no doubt about it, it was me. Because I was trying to control the situation and manipulate it, push it too forward when God wasn't moving yet, forcing the issue, right? Trying to control the situation. If I understand this text, Jesus wants them out of control, not in control, right? And so the idea here is you gotta stay close to the source with the supplier, and this is, you know, earlier was the E and the S of specs. This is the S and the P and the C. That you got to be feeding yourself the scripture. You got to be exposing yourself to the truth of God's word constantly. In fact, in John's gospel, the next point after this miracle is the I am, bread, I am the bread of life passage. Feed on me. Hey, the church, if it's going to be giving, has to be getting first. And I'm not talking about 40 minutes on a Sunday. That's why there's the P, prayer. That's why there's C, there's community. There's a constant dependence. There's a constant pursuit. There's a constant speaking truth and getting help and encouragement and being challenged that you can't give it if you're not getting it, right? And I was, I was so reminded of fresh of this this morning as I'm, I'm, I'm reading in, in bed. I put my reading glasses on. I bought some reading glasses because I can't see anything anymore. And so, which is why I use the back screen so much. But, so I put my reading, and I just read a psalm. And I'm telling you all, this psalm jumped off the page at me in a way that I hadn't happened in maybe a couple weeks even. And I was reminded of fresh that, hey, before I go and give this morning, I need to receive. I need to get right? And, and that's us. Because I'm telling you, all the good deeds in the world and the power of the flesh will mean nothing in the end. So you need to draw near and get close to the source. Here's the final thing. Inadequacy is a good thing. It's actually a great thing. Because the lesson that Jesus is teaching his disciples is dependence, right? To trust. Don't trust your hotels.com. Don't trust your debit card. Don't trust your gifts. Don't trust your degree. Don't trust how much you have in your savings account, how many classes you've been through, your Bible knowledge or whatever. Don't trust in that. To trust in me. Trust in me. Your dependence is on me. And if dependence is the goal, then what's weakness? Weakness is good. Right? It's actually to our advantage because weaknesses are the place that we trust. And that's what, Jesus hits them right at their weakness. You know the old saying, you've heard in the church, it's one of those Christian slogans that needs to go away. God will never give you more than you can handle. That's actually not true. 
God actually constantly gives you more than you can handle. Think about how many times in the Bible God gives people more than they can do. In fact, he tells the disciples, feed them. They can't feed them. He tells Peter, walk on the water. He can't do that on his own. He tells the dead guy, Lazarus, come forth. Kind of hard. He tells the lame guy, get up from your bed. Can't do it. So let's, let's let that, it's not, it's, it's not that God won't give you more than you can handle. It's God that won't give you more than he can handle. And that's a big difference. And he will constantly put you in those places because he loves you and he wants to grow you. And he wants to show you that he takes a little, he takes nothing, he takes five little loaves and two fish, and he produces much. How often in scripture do you see God take zero or little and make big? Right? How, how often? You see it with Elijah and the little, little oil, little flour, just enough for every day, boom. You see it with Gideon and his 300 men and who attack 135,000. You see it in little David going against big giant. He takes little and he makes much. Right? Why? So that you would, when you are standing there saying, I can't do it, I'm not strong enough, I'm not good enough, I got a past, you don't know where I've been, I'm a new Christian, how am I supposed to do that as a new Christian? Um, I, you know, how am I supposed to raise kids? I'm a single mom. How am I supposed to live as a single person? Oh, and you, when you think about you, your limited resources and what you have, that you will remember this. God takes five little loaves and two fish and he makes them full. And so if God can do that, then what's your excuse Right, well, I'm the only Christian at my, in my class. I'm the only Christian at my shop. Yes. Is the spirit not in you? You don't have the scripture? You don't have the church? Right? He, inadequacy is actually the place that God wants us because then that's where it's dependence. Let me, let me close with just two questions you guys can think about during the week, maybe in your community groups or, or just as you respond in worship. The first is this. Where have you been strategically placed? Where is your warehouse? And who are the people that God is trying, you, you're, you're, you're getting out the need. Right? We got to start thinking in that way. Your hobbies, your work, your teams. Who is it that you could, you know, that does not have a church, that does not worship somewhere? I mean, don't go pull someone from First Baptist and say, hey, my pastor said to invite somebody. So will you come to our church? Who do you know that doesn't go to church or is very infrequent that you could say, hey, next week, come to church with me? We'll go get breakfast. We'll go do this. Come on. I don't go to church. I, I don't have a suit. They don't wear suits in my church. Or sometimes they do. I might wear one next week. I haven't decided yet. Oh, one time a year. But who, who is that? Who is God strategically placed in your life? Your roommate, SCAD student, Armstrong student, your, your, your coworker, the guy in, your, in the cubicle, your next door neighbor, that you could say, hey, come with me. I got a little ticket. Boom. It's not, you don't have to have a ticket to get in, but it kind of reminds people where we're at. It's, it's the way Christians think. Second question is, what are your five loaves and two fish? What do you see as that inadequacy, that limited deal, but yet God says, I want to do something big in this? Because it's probably in that inadequacy that he wants to do the greatest work. A guy like me who's scared of public speaking and who's really an introvert. And he wants to put you in front of a bunch of people. That's why if we're at a party and you see me and I'm not nice to you, it's not because I'm not nice to you. So I'm, I'm just weird and introverted. Okay? It's just the way it is. But 
what, what, what resources do you have in your warehouse that God's given you that you could get out to them? Oh, I'm only good at fixing cars. I'm good at, oh, good. Go use that. There's a lot of people that need that. I mean, whatever it is, be creative, be strategic, be Amazon. Who is it that you are, some of you are scared to talk to other people about Christ, right? And that may be your inadequacy that, that God wants to use. And I hear you. It can be intimidating, but that's what God's called you to do. And so it might just be, hey, to your roommate, hey, I'd love to talk to you about what God's doing in my, in my life sometime if you'd love to hear it. Go buy coffee and chat. And, and you, I know you're, there's some, oh, what if they have questions? They're going to have like 10 questions. And I was only answer, able to answer like four of them. Well, that's great. All right? You answered four of 10. They had zero answers for 10, so you're doing better. You don't have to have all the answers. This is the point. You bring your five loaves, your two fish, and let Jesus do the rest. And let him do what he's going to do. And if they reject you, it's on him. That's what what he said. Hey, dust it off. That's fine. Not physically be like, well, fine with you, man. I mean, uh, you don't want to come to church with me. That's fine. But the point is, you, you can't change their hearts anyway, so don't worry about it. Your job is to bring your five loaves and your two fish. And I promise you, church, if we will do that, we will stand back with a full basket with our mouths open. All right? So let's stand and worship. Lord Jesus, I pray for your church that we would be different, that we would get the message of Christ to the people who need. Lord, that you would take the inadequacies and the brokenness in this room and that you would, sh- you, that you would take basically what you say are jars of clay, that we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power and glory is yours and that you would do that through your people, Lord. You, you delight to do it, so please do it. As we worship, be glorified. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.